is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we are starting our verse-by-verse journey through the Gospel of John, starting with a discussion about how John introduces us to Jesus. Yeah, we'll see if we can still do this, Brent Billings. I'm like I got a bunch of rust I'm knocking off here. <laughs> well, we have new music that is special for Woo! this series through John. So we're, you know, we're just, we're charging ahead to new territory here. Forgot about the new music. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's what I'm talking about. Some people said it would never be done, but here we are. Verse by verse through John. Verse by verse what through John. To be I don't know who, who said it would never be done. I think that was me, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure it was you. <laughs> But the people just kept asking for it, and they asked, and they asked, just like Israel asking for a king. I'm just kidding. It wasn't quite like that. But here <laughs> here we are, nonetheless. Well, of, all the, of all the books that people say is their favorite book of the Bible, I think John has got to be probably the most common for people. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And it, it is. It's it's just, it, John's one of my favorite New Testament authors, if not my favorite New Testament author. Uh, the Gospel of John is just excellent. I've just never been forced to actually, you know, I've, I've gotten to do lots of sermons and have a ton of just great dialogue and conversation with other thinkers about John. It's one of my favorite conversations. I've just, it's not my body of work. So I had to I had to spend a bunch of months like just reading my entire, I mean, I don't have a huge library, but I have a chunk of my library just on the Gospel of John that I hadn't read. And most of those books, Brent, were garbage. So uh, we won't be. But but again, you know, you read that stuff and it just got me more and more like I just kept going through the text of John and kept like, okay, don't like that. Why don't I like that? Okay, so reading all those books were good. I will make some recommendations for uh, people that would like some sources on John. I used to get that email all the time. So I'm glad to have some answers now for everybody that emails me about John because that was a you're right like people want to know about John uh, more than any other book of the New Testament in particular I or maybe even the Bible I get more emails about like John and resources for John than anything so and when somebody hasn't read the Bible before people are like well just start in John yep don't start at the beginning because you're gonna you're gonna get a little bit in and then you're just gonna get stuck on Leviticus or whatever so start with John yeah they don't even say Matthew because you're gonna get stuck on a genealogy the first chapter so Start with John because it is it is a lot more. It, there's images, there's 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 pictures, there's things that drive. Uh, it's just maybe a little more friendly to the um, the person who's who's fresh and new to the Bible, and that's what John says he's writing for. He's writing so that people would know who the Son of God, uh, you know, put their faith in in the Son of God. So, I mean, that's John's. I mean, that's his thesis. So it it makes sense, but. A couple sources that I'll point out right off the bat. Um, one of them uh, that I read a, a while ago before I knew we were going to go through John verse by verse is I read a, a book called Reading the Gospel Through Palestinian Eyes um, by Johanna Caranacho. And, um, and and I don't like every single book uh, from Caranacho. Um, he's a Palestinian believer. But he he wrote a book, and I, I have been trying to make sure that just in my library and in my studies, obviously I read a, a ton of Jewish thinkers, and just to be a well-rounded human being, let alone a well-rounded student of the word, let alone a decent, you know, somebody who's aware of culture and just wanting to make sure you hear all the voices of what God's doing in the world, I'm trying to make sure that I have these voices that I listen to from all kinds of you know different perspectives, and and one of them being a Palestinian perspective, and just really appreciate in a lot of ways what he contributes to the conversation. 
a lot of times maybe his books come off as slightly uh his a little bit too uh the polemic is a little bit too problematic for me but that book in particular was excellent the front half of the book was all about just john it's like you're just reading a commentary on john honestly i wish there was 10 times as much this is not a big book it's actually a very thin book um i wish that book was, was 10 times as uh, went went way more in depth it was excellent material i loved it the back half of the book is all about kind of what the call is for people that find themselves under the boot of oppression how do you live as people of love how do you live as disciples of jesus how do you how do you live with a spirit of forgiveness particularly in his palestinian context and that was really the point of his book and so i i understood what he was trying to do and he definitely did that and he accomplished that that front half of the book was just a gold mine though man just excellent so totally recommend that book and i recommend his other books too that's just uh, i'll often have a chapter here that i'm like well i don't know if i but that book in particular as it relates to the gospel of john was excellent um, the other name and source um, is going to be Dr. Gary Burge. Now, he's considered, as far as I'm aware, he's been, in fact, uh, Brent, a few, he's got two episodes on the GTI podcast. GTI is the agency that uh, helps run our trips to Israel and Turkey. And they started a podcast during the pandemic. And Gary's been on there, uh, Dr. Burge has been on there a couple times uh, this last week's, as we record today, the last week's episode had him on there. And you could link his two episodes in the show notes. He's he's known as being like one of the foremost authorities on the Gospel of John alive today. Um, and I love I love his perspective. He wrote a book that I found really helpful as I was getting ready for this series titled Interpreting the Gospel of John. Interpreting the Gospel of John by Dr. Gary Burge. And like the book had like five different parts in it. The first few parts were just super helpful that just talked about the the history and the context and different perspectives that swirl about John and how you have to approach it. The last half of the book was all about how do you do research and how do you study? And it's geared for, um, just so everybody knows, full disclosure, I, I think it's geared for the graduate student. So if you're in a grad program at a seminary, uh, probably studying under Dr. Burge, I'm assuming he's probably going to give you this as required reading because it talks about like, how, what research tools are out there? How do you do research? So if that's your world or that's a world you would love to like get into, an excellent source. But as far as just his expertise, and you may even be able to find Brent for the show notes. Sometimes these professors, um, these experts in departments at universities, I believe he's at Calvin uh, right now. He used to be at, um, at Wheaton, if I remember correctly. But sometimes they'll have a website that kind of links all their articles that they've written, their academic works, and those kind of things. You might be able to find that for the show notes too. But he's he's known as a John expert. So um, just a, a great resource there. So th that's what I'll recommend uh, up front. We'll recommend some other things kind of as we go, probably even a couple more resources today as we get into uh, – we won't talk about a ton of John, probably the first 18 ver verses here just to get us started, get us into John and uh, – as we go all throughout this study, I'm sure the rest of the team, L and Josh and Reed, they, they may have contributions that they'll make as far as resources that you can add to the list. But uh, 
Yeah. Anything else we need to talk about before we dive in, Brent? Uh, no, I think I think we should just dive in. Okay. Well, you're a reader. It's not that I'm not going to go back and read some verses on my own, but I'm going to turn it back over to you because that's what we do. That's the program. Brent Billings brings us... I, every time I travel around, Brent, people say, I can't read the Bible without in my head, like the the mental audible voice is Brent Billings' voice <laughs> when I just think of biblical text. Well, it's funny because it wasn't even that way in the beginning. Like we we somehow... I don't know. When I listen to the session one episodes, it's like, oh, what is going on here? It's yeah. So some somehow we settled into that in the future. But anyway, here we are in session six. And so we have we have our format. So here we go. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All right. So right according to our format, Marty interrupts you. So <laughs> <laughs> so we have a lot of things that we see in John, and we could probably link in the show notes, Brent, the episode. We did one episode on John back in session three. We'll link that in the show notes for anybody that wants to review, because we talked about a lot of just little aspects of John. I'm sure that we'll dive into more in depth along our journey here. Maybe not all of them, but I'm sure many of them we will. And um, But one of the things that we... Uh, well, I don't know if we pointed this out or not. One of John's big motifs... John has John loves to work with different motifs. I, there's so many motifs, actually, that scholars seem to identify that I wonder how many of them were... Could they all have been intentional on John's part? Are some of them just like coincidence and or did he really mean to work just like a hundred different motifs into his gospel i don't i don't know but one of the things that john loves in all of his writing is the theme of light like john seems to have a very essene like which makes sense because a little bit of historical trivia here uh brent who is it that gets um when jesus is arrested peter and john get into the courtyard and the 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 essentially the, the the property of the high priest and who is it that we're told in the gospel gets them in uh is it john who does that it is john which means that john somehow has priestly connections probably in his family he's probably somewhat related on some level to priesthood which again makes sense jesus is even his cousin john the baptist is obviously the son of zachariah a priest so it's not it, it's not at all hard to imagine that there are familial connections within the Havara to priesthood, which means those same connections, just like Zechariah, as we posited, are probably connected to the Essene worldview. One of the Essenes' big like theological themes is being sons of light, being sons of light who walk in the light. There are sons of light and there are sons of darkness. And so you see coming out of John, which makes a ton of sense. If he's got priestly connections, he probably also has Essene connections. And that comes out in his writing. And so this Logos, this theme of light to darkness, light to darkness. But one of the things that we did talk about in our episode back in session three was the way that John plays with Logos. And we said that John was able in that paragraph that you just read to simultaneously speak to and subvert both the Greco worldview, the Greek worldview of of the Greco-Asian worldview that he's writing to at his point and location, physical location geographically, 
in church in in New Testament history, and also do the exact same thing to the Jewish worldview in the exact same paragraph, the exact same words. So you can go back and listen to that in that episode. But I did want to actually dive in a little bit deeper to the Greco uh, perspective there. I got some sources here. I'm going to read just a little portion here out of a book called Word Pictures by Brian Godawa, G-O-D-A-W-A, Godawa, Word Pictures, Knowing God Through Story and Imagination. Apparently, Brent, when you were looking at this, you said this book is probably out of print now. You can find some used copies out there, so you're all going to be racing to find your used copy of this book. But uh, Blessed is the listener who uh, is listening in real time, I guess. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, okay, so so here we go. Um, this is Godawa. He says, the very first chapter, uh, in his very first chapter, John uses a word to define Jesus, logos, which was well known to the dominant Hellenistic culture as a reference to reason, capital R, as the underlying structural order of all things. So reason is the, is the, is the foundational bedrock of everything. A look at a couple fragments from Heraclitus, the possible origin of the concept of logos, will shed some light on just how Greco-Roman pagans of John's era defined this logos. Here's the quote from Heraclitus. When you have listened, not to me, but to the Logos, it is wise to agree that all things are one. For through all things came into being in accordance with Logos. Men seem as if they have never met it. So tell me, does that sound, let's see, have we even read that part yet? We're probably going to hear echoes of that as you keep reading, Brent. I'll read that again. Here's the Heraclitus quote. When you have listened, not to me, but to the Logos, it's wise to agree that all things are one. For through all things came into being in accordance with this Logos, men seem as if they never met it. Okay, hold on to that. Here's, I'm going to continue reading Godawa. One can read the first verses of the Gospel of John and see its obvious identification with this Greco-Roman concept of Logos. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That sounds very eerily similar to Heraclitus, does it not, Brent? Yeah, I think so. Uh, continuing here with Gadawa, John's definition of the Logos, however, shows a subversion taking place. For Greek philosophy, the Logos affirmed the oneness of all things, out of which all things were created and separated. Men were ignorant of this knowledge, but enlightened by it because the Logos was pure thought itself as an intelligent guiding force. When John wrote his gospel, he started with Logos rather than the Hebrew name, uh, I won't say the name of God, but Adonai, or the Greek equivalent Kyrios or Theos as the creator of the universe, he echoed the Greek philosophical language of ultimate origin, uh, eminence, lightness and darkness, human ignorance, and the fullness of truth. But he gave it a Hebrew spin. John's Logos is not an abstract force, but a rational person. The Greek understanding of ultimate reality is shown to be inadequate in light of Christianity. 
That was the section from Gadawa. I have a study Bible, Brent, the another thing that's out of print, but you can find used copies of. It's the old NIV. It's the NIV 84. Um, but uh, this archeolo- Zondervan Archaeological Study Bible, we'll link it in the show notes too, uh, has, a, has an excerpt here from Aristotle. We're familiar with him. The Logos is designed to distinguish the beneficial from harmful, and thus also the right and the wrong. For this, in distinction from other animals, is the distinctive property of man, that he alone has the ability to perceive good and bad, and right and wrong, and the other qualities. And it is communication of these things that makes a household and and a city-state." That's Aristotle. So you can, and, and that's just a couple examples. All throughout Greek thought, the prominence of the logos. Some Greek philosophers said, in the logos, everything is held together. Logos is the thing that connects all create. It's the stuff. It's the unidentified stuff. I think we would call it the. What do we call that? Um, dark space, or what do we call that? Dark matter. Uh, it was something we call it scientifically today. It's the stuff in between stuff that isn't stuff. Yeah. Yeah, dark matter, I think, is probably what we're referring to. That That's how they would have talked about it 2,000 years ago. And so John plays into this idea, ties into that, and subverts it to say, oh, for my Greek audience, who's all enamored with Logos, well, I'll tell you all about Logos, but this Logos, well, this Logos was a person, not just an abstract concept, not just rationality, but a person named Jesus. So... That's the play that's taking place there. And perhaps a more immediately accessible resource, um, not probably quite as extensive as the Archaeological Study Bible as far as um, some of those extra things, but um, still quite extensive, is the NET, the New English Translation. It's an online-only Bible, and just in this 18-verse chunk that we're reading here, they have about 50 footnotes, which is just it's mind-boggling. It's an amazing <laughs> translation, and it's put out by the American Bible Society. Um, I, I might have that name off a little bit. The American Literary Bible Society? I can't remember. But it's basically a group of rotating scholars. It's been in place for almost 200 years, if I remember correctly. And not the translation, obviously. Digital online translation has not been around for 200 years, but the society has. And they're the ones that kind of create and update and revise this translation and the footnotes. And it's it's really impressive. The NET is... People are always asking me about good translations. And... We obviously prefer the NIV for its readability, and I like its um, historical academic parameters that they use for their translation. But another one I recommend all the time is the NET. It's a great source, so good grab, Brent. All it says on here in the copyright is that it's published by Biblical Studies Press, but I'm not seeing the other thing. Okay. But anyway, yeah, it's uh, like, so the, the, in the beginning as a footnote, and it goes into a bunch of Greek philosophy stuff on like what their conversations were around the origin of things and gives you all sorts of details there. Um, one, one difference, like when I read that in verse five, where it says the darkness has not overcome it, as the NIV says, um, in word pictures, whatever that version was, uh, the darkness has not, uh, comprehended it. Uh, the NET says the darkness has not mastered it. And they have a footnote there that goes into great detail about 
the different possible translations of that word. So I love it. Definitely check out the NET. Um, you'll, you'll, you can spend several hours just on this little passage, um, because there's just so much to dig into. And, and while we're at it, Brent, I'll throw one more at you. That's not even in the notes, but if you want a study Bible, that's not out of print that has the updated NIV, uh, there is the NIV historical cultural backgrounds Bible, um, which is another just great study Bible. It's one, it's, it's probably the study Bible that I recommend nowadays that's in print. Um, so another great resource that you can use. I do love this episode. We're just throwing out so many resources that I do love. That's what we do here. Like, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to give you the answers. I want to equip you to go wrestle and not even get answers. Like, I don't want you to go get more answers. That's lame. Go, go, go spend more time in the word and just be enamored by uh, the, the wonder of all the things that there are to contemplate and to learn and to consider uh, as you study the Bible. So I just love a episode where we just give endless lists of resources. There you go. Yeah, this this one episode of resources will keep keep people busy for a while if yep. they want to be. That's right. Okay, should we should we get back to the text? I suppose so. All right. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Okay, so I'm going to interrupt you here because we have, we have a paragraph that was basically about John the Baptist, right? And then the next paragraph that you just got started, you're about one verse into, seems to shift to the he is now the Logos, the Jesus, right? <clears throat> so we had this, this short little paragraph about... Um, John, I didn't even realize this. I think it was in uh, Burge's book, Dr. Burge's book. Um, in all the debate that swirls about who the author is, was it the Apostle John? Is it the same John that wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John? Is the same John that wrote the Revel- Is it the Re- Revelator John? Is it who is the John? There's actually a theory uh, out there that I, I would not agree with. I don't believe Dr. Burge was promoting either, um, but I found it really interesting. Uh, Part of what will be, and we're going to circle back around to this, probably at the end of our time in John, I'm going to do like a capstone episode that kind of goes back and just kind of nerds out on some of the larger big picture things. But I don't want that to get in and muddy the waters now. I'm going to do that at the end. But one of the things that you see in the Gospel of John is there's two books, and Cotanacho talked about this really, really well. Uh, the first 12 chapters of John is the Book of Signs. It's all about the mir- it's about the miracles that Jesus is doing. John points them out. This is the first sign. This is the second sign. You have the book of signs. And then the the last half of John is almost like a different volume. It's almost like a it's the they call it the book of some people call it the book of hours, because Jesus talks a lot about hours. Some people talk call it the book of glory. Um, but you have two different kind of books, the book of signs and the book of glory. Um, and some have suggested that those actually have two different authors and that maybe they, they're even two different Johns, that one of them is, is John the Apostle. He does the book of glory at the end. And the first half of John is actually John the Baptist. I think that's actually a ridiculous, um, I mean, obviously it'd have to be before John the Baptist is beheaded or some other kind. I don't even know how that theory works. I, w- I did not get into it and dive into it, but some, there's a theory that wrestle with how these records are being pulled together and who the Johns are. Um, but the other thing that I found interesting, as Dr. Burge talked about, um, uh, the theories of authorship, is that there is a theory here that this introduction wasn't in the original John. 
because it does have like this different flow, this different meter. It's beautiful. Like I, I think the the opening paragraphs of John are like unbelievably philosophically deep and like. But do you feel like there's something really unique about this first eighteen verses here, and say chapter two when you're reading about the wedding at Cana, Brent? Uh, yeah. And, and I don't think that I personally don't think we have a different author at work here. I, 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 it was just interesting to run into that three and be like, oh wow, interesting. Look at that, all that kind of stuff. I think it's uh, I, I'm going to assume for now in my growth curve with John here that this is just John very intentionally writing an introduction into his narrative and what he's trying to accomplish. But anyway, it was interesting to read about all the different theories about who wrote John, how it came together, all those kinds of things. So that that John the Baptist theory, that might have been another resource now that I think about it. Like I said, I was reading a lot of bad resources too. And that that may have been from one of those. Who knows? Well, we haven't quite got there yet, but if I if you'll allow me to read on just a little bit, it says um so the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, and the NET comes in with a footnote here, and there's a whole bunch of setup in this, and it says that because of the way that phrase was used, apparently some people have argued that John was originally written in Hebrew. Well, I have heard that theory, um, and I even think it was addressed <laughs> somewhere as well. And there's a theory that almost all your New Testament was originally written in Hebrew. I, I think that sure. goes way too far. I I I don't think John's originally written in Hebrew. It doesn't make sense to me based on its context. But I just keep running into people that are talking about it and... I mean, it's 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 a it's a possibility. It's not where I land, but it, it's a possibility. Yeah, the NET footnote mostly dismisses that pretty quickly. And okay, says, okay. You know, some have argued that, but here's probably more what's going on. Sure, but it is in, because I hadn't heard that possibility for John specifically, so I thought it was Man, interesting to run into it. I love that the that footnote. The NET and Brent Billings is bringing a whole new. You're you're going to start throwing questions and material at me. I'm not even aware of. It's great. <laughs> I love this. It's a whole new day. Bayma 2.0. Uh, yeah, sure. If you say so. <laughs> All right. So let's let's continue. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So again, we we have this, like we have this conversation about sons of light, sons of darkness. I don't know what you want to call it, philosophical, spiritual. Like I think of later in John, we're going to have this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. I've talked to you about, I've talked to you about earthly things. How could I talk to you and you don't understand me? How could I talk to you about heavenly things or spiritual things and have you understand me? Like John loves to dwell. Again, it's a much more abstract um, and, and ab- but also picturesque. Like it's abstract, but also image driven. I think that's why we love to recommend it to people that are new to the Bible, because it's just easier in their Greek Western mind to connect in that regard. But uh, again, you hear John here saying, He's arguing for, and especially in his Greco-Roman context, in a world wrestling with Gentiles and Judaism and the church and in Hellenism, John's arguing for, there is something here that goes, there's something that Jesus is inviting all people into that's not just connected to bloodline. It's not just connected to human descent or a husband's will or there is a, there is a kind of adopted ch- children, adopted or not. 
there there's a there's a status as a child that supersedes these other things that we're familiar with and john is like opening up this gospel this thing we're going to talk about changes everything it's logos and we have a hard time understanding it because it's huge and it's big and it's about light and darkness and it's just this thundering beautiful poetic introduction to this gospel of John. So anyway, I interrupted you. I mean, that's, that's what we do. That's fine. Um, the word became flesh or sarks. Oh, oh. <laughs> not, uh, probably not how Paul is using it. So our previous conversation about that, what I thought uh, sarks meant sinful nature, Brent. I thought that's what it meant. That's how we translate it. Sarks means sinful nature. So the word became sinful nature, huh? Mm, mm. It's weird. What's the NET have to say about that? Oh, it has lots to say. So, <laughs> all right, let's keep going. Uh, and and the NET may not necessarily agree with the Baymore perspective on that. So that's okay. Whatever. People can say things differently than us. I don't know if people know that, but it is okay. Yeah, and, and it's not it's not just okay. It's expected. I would I would say. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So, yeah, we have uh, we have John with this big, huge, high-level, philosophical, bigness conversation. And I feel like he almost uses the John the Baptist character as this bridge from the bigness of Logos and light and comprehension to their very practical, um, immediate context. Like in 18 verses, he's went from the logos of creation to the Jewish context of Messiah and the law of Moses and Torah and observance. It really is just a really impressive use of 18 verses what he does and what he's able to do to set up the actual narrative that we're going to get into moving on from there. Yeah. It's like he, he has made God known and then here it is. Yep. In a very like concrete sense as, as he walks on the earth in his sarks. Yeah. And, and let's just throw one more resource at people. I'm probably going to regret this. Um, This is against, (laughs) this is against my better judgment. But there is a theory that I have had rattling around in my head for a good four, you know, four or five, six years uh, that I just think there's something to it. But one of the theories out there is that these four Gospels were um, were kind of used intentionally by the early church. Like maybe there were different kind of records, but the four Gospels that we have, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that we have, were actually packaged intentionally by the early church to guide believers, particularly new believers, into faith in Jesus. 
And one person that has talked about this is Alexander Shia. Now, I'm sure everybody's going to write me emails about how in the world I could promote Alexander Shia. Nevertheless, uh, he has a, a larger body of work that he calls Quadratos. Um, he has a website you can go to. He has a book, uh, The Fourfold. It's changed names a couple of times. I think it's Heart and Mind or something like that. Heart and Mind, The Four Gospel Journey for Radical Transformation. Sure. Third edition. Yep. And it's very like, it's not historical. Like, there's going to be plenty of history in it. It's it's going to be trying to connect it to your life and your personal context. But the theory that Shia works off of, and it's not he's not the only one to have this theory, but he his belief is that the four gospels were used. Matthew was the first one because Matthew introduces you to um, the idea of change, like the the kingdom of, of God is not what you expected. And that's the theme of Matthew. Like the mumser, everybody who's outside is actually inside and everybody who's inside is actually outside and everything's upside down. So it makes sense that the theme of Matthew would be change. It would, the, 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 the kingdom is different than you thought. You got to change your worldview. But then the next one is Mark. And he said, Mark was used because the theme is conflict. If I accept the change, if I change my worldview, I'm now brought into conflict, whether that's the world of Judaism, whether that's the world of Rome, I now am brought into conflict, which leads to the gospel of John, which actually is what he thinks is the third gospel. And John, the 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 next stage is illumination. So I had to change my worldview. I had to n- navigate and negotiate the conflict. But once I do that, I now see. And what's what's one of John's motifs? Light and darkness understanding and comprehension. Like when you think of these first 18 verses of John, I can really see that. And then Luke ends up being the fourth gospel leading into Acts, and Luke's fourth part is all about service. So once I've changed my worldview, once I have once I have navigated the conflict, once I have been illuminated, once my once my worldview, my mind, once I've been illumined, well now I can go serve. And that's what we're called. That's what the Christian life is a call to. Maybe that's a crazy theory. Maybe there's nothing to that. I don't know if Alexander Shai has nailed it. I don't know if he's the authority I'm looking to. I just have had that theory bouncing around my head for the last five to six years. And I really think there's something to it. Um, The more I study how the Gospels came to be, I mean, you were just mentioning a moment ago theories about John being written in Hebrew. You've heard me just adamantly insist that Matthew was written in Hebrew. Eusebius, other folks tell us Matthew was written in Hebrew. Matthew was written in Hebrew. Um, Mark, Luke, and John, maybe not. Matthew was. So how in the world did we get the Matthew, the Mark, the Luke? David Flusser had all kinds of theories about this. Other scholars that are still alive today are working on some of those theories. I think there's a really high possibility that the four Gospels that we have today were 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 kind of constructed, in my opinion, by the apostles who wrote them um, to be used in that way. So it's just maybe a weird theory to 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 tickle your you know academic fancy. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, does that uh, does that close out our introductory episode? I think that's enough sources. I think we've linked about what twenty million things today. Yeah, a little bit shorter episode, but. Uh, enough enough extra resources to keep everyone busy until next week for sure yeah absolutely so much good stuff there it's kind of hard actually to figure out which lane you want to go down so it's kind of like leviticus we either do this 
verse by verse, like, which is what we're doing, but you either go really small, micro, deep, or you kind of step back. And the first 18 verses of John, man, there's a lot of things you can talk about, a lot. Like, there has been so much written by a lot of seminarians and and PhDs about the opening chapter of John. So I prefer to just kind of step back, throw a million sources on the table, and say what sounded good, start there and and dig in. All right. Well, if you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. You can find me at EIBCB. Uh, maybe join us on the Baymoss Slack and, uh, and, and discuss there all of your wonderful theories and other resources that you find and whatever your journey of discovery is, uh, share it with other listeners there or get in a discussion group. There's lots of ways to approach this, but there's, there's clearly so much here to wrestle with and that is definitely better in community. So whether that is online with us on Slack, or if you can get a local discussion group going even better, um, but just be in community and wrestle with this together. Brent, I'm not even done yet. For those that haven't turned off the episode yet, I'm going to put one more <laughs> link in the show notes. The Bible, uh, the Bible projects got just has to have it's like a, an incredible episode on John, let alone other material on John. If you dig up anything from the Bible project, throw that in there. It, we I don't quote the Bible Project enough. Like honestly, I feel like most of our listeners probably are using the Bible Project kind of hand in hand with Bema. You should be. <laughs> like if you're into studying this stuff, um, but make sure you're diving into that stuff when you when we're studying things like this. There's there's going to be great stuff there. Yeah, I did kind of think about that and and thought like you know we just kind of have like an implicit uh, recommendation for basically everything they do. So. <laughs> it's so true. If if you like Bema and you don't like the Bible Project, I would love to hear from you because I don't understand how that's possible. Like, <laughs> it's true. Two two uh, two pieces uh, of or we are, we are of a piece with the Bible Project. So. That's right. Yep. Okay. Well, you can find more details about uh, Bema at BemaDiscipleship dot com. So thanks for joining us on the Bema podcast this week. We will talk to you again soon. <laughs>